Hello and welcome to today's episode, where we take a look at what food tourism is and how it's perceived by a professional within the craft of food consumption. To answer this, we've brought in a guest in the form of Jonathan Lear. Jonathan Lear is a professor at Aalborg University and he does research in taste pedigree and food culture. He is also particularly concerned with the link between food and masculinity as well as with cultural representation of food and taste. In 2014, Jonathan Lear authored the PhD thesis Math Masculinity, which was about masculinity in modern European food programs. He has also published several articles on food culture and gender. Jonathan Lear has also written more than 50 popular science columns on food culture, and he has a past as a restaurant reviewer. So sit back and relax and enjoy. First, we would like to talk about food tourism and what it actually means. Uh, we found following definition, which is culinary tourism or food tourism or gastronomy tourism is the exploration of food as the purpose of tourism. And we would like to ask you if you agree with the definition or if you would fulfill something or uh, what I you think it's a very difficult uh, thing to define what food tourism is. Um, basically because all tourists eat um, and, and that is, uh, so when does it go from being something that you just do to survive from something that actually has a purpose? And I think there's a lot of, there's an ongoing continuum between these different kind of positions from the very dedicated uh, foodies who book all the restaurants in advance and go only to see food stuff or food producers and so on. And then people who just uh, really don't care about the food, uh, but has to eat and then bring some stuff uh, as cheap as possible when they go visit. And in between, I think there's a whole lot of, of, of different uh, position. Um, and, and I think a lot would maybe be food tourists a part of uh, a travel to a specific place where they might go for one specific um evening to eat uh, at a very fancy restaurant or they might go to a winery um, and another day they might be interested in architecture they might be interested in football they might be interested in, in, a, in a lot of different stuff um, and then there is of course um, what is food <laughs> which is another difficult thing because I think a lot of people maybe think about um, Food is something very gastronomic. I mean, it has to be high-end, right? It has to be at a very, very high level. It has to be fancy, expensive, and so on. Whereas I think more and more tourists are also interested in, in very nerdy things. I mean, you can have, um, for instance, whiskey tourism is also a thing uh, where you go, for instance, to specific whiskey distilleries um, to... to uh, investigate them. I visited one in the northern part of Norway where you don't have this tradition of producing whiskey, but uh, where they, they had the northernmost whiskey distillery. And that 
had then, because it was the, the, the farthest north of all uh, whiskey distilleries in the world, there was a lot of whiskey tourists who had to go there and they, they knew that it was a nice selling point and then to buy the whiskey there. But I mean, if you go there as a whiskey tourist, you probably don't drink whiskey 24 seven either. So, I mean, they would also usually go, um, you know, hiking or visit different kinds of places and, and, and so on. So it's, um, so that's also, I think, an issue. And, 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 and I think we should distinguish between a lot of, of different things. There are also a lot of people visiting, for instance, Denmark right now, very much into the whole organic um, thing into to new food. Uh, types, new types of food production. It can be sustainable uh, production of cider, for instance, or, or grapes or vegetables of, of different kinds, which might not in itself be high-end, uh, but rather be something that, that um, people are, are really nerdy about or find really, really interesting for, for various causes. But I think the, the, the definition you have is it's a very simple one. It's pretty good. Um, other people also define it more as a kind of um, anthropological uh, approach that it, it uses food to understand the culture and the people of a specific place. That is also, I think, a very interesting way uh, to use the food as a kind of lens into a, uh, a country rather than than an end of the voyage or a specific or a purpose in itself but but something that is there and, and with it of course there's pleasure of eating but at the same time there's also the pleasure of understanding and and, and comprehending other places cultures and people yeah thank you uh yeah i agree that the food tourism can be really like white and it doesn't necessarily mean that someone must travel destination to try something but might be as well a tourist and finds something interesting to taste and uh, that I guess also means to find some new uh, cultural food and uh, so thank you for that yeah and the second question is when and how did your passion for food begin? Um, oh well that is also a lot of doing with traveling I think it was uh, I was a very strange kid actually uh, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s in the southern part, a rural part of Jutland, where most of the, the kids my age would go play football, which I also did a little bit, but I was not terribly good. Um, and they, or they would like play with, with motorbikes or machines, different kinds. I'm not very interested in that. But I was very interested in food early on and also in cookbooks, you know, where you could kind of, of travel to different countries in these cookbooks and look of images of Indian cuisine, of Italian cuisine, of French cuisine, of American cuisine, of whatever you would find in there. I thought that absolutely fascinating. And I think that, uh, that, that also led me to, when I was 16, I went a year to, to France to live with a French family. Um, and there also it really kind of took off. But it was already before with these kind of, imagines uh, of food and people uh, that I found in these cookery books. And I think that's very interesting also today in where food tourism and tourism generally is going, where we have a lot of more like online tourism. I mean, we some call, talk about couch 
tourism that you can sit at home and you can look at Instagram or whatever and then look at different kind of stuff. We'd see it in the Faroe Islands also where you could have a kind of camera on the, on the shoulder of a local Faroese person who would then walk around and say to you, oh, try to go right there or go left there, like a kind of human drone, right? Um, and you also have different kind of, of virtual realities uh, now that are more or less popular, but it's kind of people are kind of working with this kind of of digital solutions um, to it. And, and there is, it's interesting. At the same time, there's also a, a kind of dangerous thing in, in a lot of the ways that food is portrayed in many cookbooks and media and so on, that it's very idealized and it's very like all the French people go to the market every day to buy the best and freshest ingredients in the world and spend three hours cooking, which is very, very far from the truth of most people um, today. So we might meet a lot of, of these uh, places we are visiting and the people with certain kind of, of expectations, myth imaginaries that they, we want them to incorporate because that's what we've read about or seen on Instagram or wherever. Um, but they are very different. Most places people are extremely diverse and they're very, very practical and they have uh, people uh, they have to take care of their kids and, 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 you know, they don't have an endless amount of time and then they are different and some are very interested in food, others not. Some have, um, you know, experiences with, with families on the countryside and food production and so on and others are completely uninterested in food or has just lived in a very um, normal or on privileged lives where food was uh, more like a need than a kind of something that you could uh, be very creative about or, or hold on to specific tradition you just had to survive so it's there's also I think um, some stuff in there now I got a little bit away from your questions but I, I hope that was okay no that's perfectly fine because we have also a question um because food used to be in the past, right? Something which like uh, we needed to survive or uh, people needed to survive. But then there, I guess by the years was some shift when uh, people also use food just to enjoy. And actually uh, maybe that's how also the food tourism began uh, on the market. And would you say that uh, have you seen the shift or can you maybe describe the shift when maybe people from just survival mode uh, uh, started to see the food uh, some differently? Yeah, I, I think until the late 19th century, a major concern for most people uh, around the planet was uh, to have food enough. And um, because a harvest could go wrong and you would have nothing to eat in the winter. Um, and it was very simple in many ways. But then with industrialization, we have more like kind of stabilized production and, and also means to, to store food. Uh, and you could produce it much cheaper, keep it all year round and so on. It was much easier to, to produce to the masses and to, to take care of, of people. Um, but I think um, it has always been a kind of interest in gastronomy for the privileged, uh, also way before this, uh, but it was for a, a very small minority of, of the very uh, high bourgeoisie or people with nobles of the nobility or, or such. 
Um, and they were always very interesting in also looking outside and getting the, the extraordinary all the way back from to the me medieval ages. Um, we have this idea of spices, for instance, as being something very luxurious and something that only the, the noble could eat. And you had extremely spicy food, actually, uh, with, with cinnamon, with with uh, all kinds of stuff that was difficult to get, pepper and, and such on, stuff you couldn't cultivate at home, but you had to like, had brought from away. Um, and that was, of course, where you could then show your power, your the abundance of means and, and so on. Um, but what has happened uh, since the Second World War in particular is that the middle class has been uh, growing, particularly in the Western world, but increasingly around the world, which means that more and more people have the privileges to buy exotic food, but also to travel uh, around the world. Uh, and that has become more and more normalized that you that you move around. Uh, and that's been a part also of, of being an, an, an enlightened modern person that you're able uh, to do that. And so, so I think the big shift is probably with this I don't know if we could talk about masterism already there, but but um, yeah, this kind of more mainstreaming of tourism that we saw after the Second World War, um, and also where you see a lot of, of cookbooks uh, coming out with, for instance, in, in many Nordic countries with Mediterranean uh, recipes particularly, which kind of gave people the wants and the ideals to, to, to travel to Italy or to Spain to do that. But before you also had a lot of cookbook uh, focused on French cuisine, which would then also really include a lot of, of, of recipes and understanding that could be, uh, that could make people dream. But sometimes you would also have, if you're very rich, you know, a French chef coming um, and opening a restaurant or visit the king and so on and, and bring some of the, the French flavors to uh, the court or to the very privileged people of a country. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think it's really good you mentioned that it's really just still a privilege that we actually can uh, enjoy food and it's not our survival kind of mode anymore and that we can even travel where kind of we want just to try the food. That's a privilege and it's good to remember that not everyone I guess uh, can do that. So uh... absolutely, it's it's. I mean, it's it, it is very recent actually that most of the people in Europe, at least, lived in uh, in the same place. Uh, they were born their whole life. They died there, and they might not travel more than ten or twenty kilometers in each direction around where they uh, were born, right? And they would eat the the food that was available in specific seasons uh, on that specific territory. Um, it's, it's a very, very different way that our great, great, maybe great, great, or great, great, great grand um, <laughs> parents lived, right? It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. So uh, do you consider food tourism or, uh, yeah, as a new way for tourists to connect with locals maybe? Um, yeah, I, I think it can be. Uh, as I mentioned before, there's also this danger of the local being this kind of other exotic persons that you want to live in a specific way, want the Italians who love and make pasta and pizza every day. Um, and if they don't, you're kind of disappointed. Um, but, but also, I think it can, and, and, and people are increasingly kind of working to do that as well uh, by creating... Um, food tours, for instance, by locals, 
or by creating more and more uh, hand-on activities. I, I did myself a piece and a visit to the Faroe Islands, which are these small islands between Scotland and, and, and Iceland. And there I did a visit to a, a small island called Nolsoy, where I went with a group of um, uh, a group of students, it was a summer school, and then we visited uh, a local producer. Um, no, she was actually not a producer, but she was more like kind of guide, uh, but she was very interested in, in harvesting different kind of, of um, what can you say, um, you know, foraging herbs and, and, and stuff like that. And she then used it also in her little cafe slash uh, tourism office that she was uh, using and what we did with her was we first went to visit the island um, and also picked up different kind of herbs including sticky nettles that we would then use when we went back to her cafe to make ourselves some pizzas with cheese and, and these nettles um, and then after that we um, we were then uh, set to work in uh, her field. She had a, a, a lawn that she wanted to change into a place where you could um, uh, where you could do um, potatoes. There's very few vegetables you can grow there are Faroe Islands because it's relatively uh, cold and very mild climate, but you can grow potatoes. And then what what we um, we did was then we had to move all the grass away. It was pretty you know hard work, but then we could do that. And then we were paid in waffles and hot chocolate afterwards. And that was a kind of give and take. We kind of paid for the first part of the day, but then for the second part of the day we had to to work, which was very interesting because we really got you know the local soil under our. Uh, nails and had to, to work and there was also we we left uh we left uh, an imprint of some kind right and uh something that might be better it was difficult with i with very few people lived so it was maybe difficult also to get people to work there so for her it might be more interesting to get the labor exchange rather than the the the, the monetary exchange and i think that's also a funny example of how you, because here I really thought we connect with her and there was also some other locals we talked to during our work. Um, but also the fact that you, um, when you visit as a food tourist, the food we got was very simple, right? It was just a plain pizza. We made it ourselves and then we got these waffles, very traditional, um, and with local rhubarbs and so on. But it was, I mean, it was nothing like we had to go to a Michelin star restaurant, right? It was it was also being a food tourist, which meant interacting uh, with people and also being co-creative in the way that you consume. And I find it's, it's a very interesting model how you can play with that because there is a lot of problematic things, of course, with being a, a food tourist in many ways in the way we consume the places, the product and the people uh, there. Um, without um, not always being very sustainable, either in, in an environmental way, neither in an economic way or in a, in a social um, sustainable way. So it's, I, I think that's, that could be, I think it, it made me think about a lot of examples um, that you might be able to do uh, if you thought a little bit more down that line, instead of the traditional, I'm a food tourist, I'm a consumer, I come and sit at my table, I, I expect people to come and serve food for me and then I pay my bill and I wander off to the next, next restaurant and, and 
the next city. That's a very different way, I think, of, of being a tourist compared to what I just described. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> and it's uh, a good example, uh, like really good example where you can connect with locals, not maybe necessarily by only local food, because maybe you don't expect to make pizza on uh, Faroe Island. Exactly, and I thought that was also pretty funny, because a lot of the other places we went, then we had to, to eat all this fermented meat, you know, <laughs> where, <laughs> where it tastes really bizarre, but it's also <laughs> this kind of of fun, you know, testing of the tourist, how much can it take, how strange uh, is our food and so on. Whereas this was very accessible, uh, but still uh, not traditional, but very local because all the produce we use was from, uh, was just been the stuff we handpicked uh, just before, right? Okay, I yeah. have one more or less question before I give my word to Christian. But um, now it was really good example, like uh, with uh, connecting with locals. And I, I'm just wondering if you have also some example when this connection or connecting with locals went really wrong, or if there is maybe some destinations where it's not working well uh, with the maybe food tourism or. Well, I think there is a lot of places where it doesn't work well, where you where you see that the locals are almost starving, and then you would have these kind of resorts disconnected from from the rest of the of the of the the locals, uh, where you then eat what you might consider local food or food traditions, but in a way that is completely disconnected from the everyday life of the local people uh, living there. But there are also a lot of of I think. Uh, very interesting um, examples in what you see in food television, for instance, where we really see a lot of, you know, big white male chefs going out to the world to conquer it and to kind of uh, take up the traditions out there. And if people are not like they expect them to be, they're kind of, uh, hmm, they're kind of, of, of not being very nice to them, but if they are really authentic and doing it in different ways and yada yada, uh, then they're kind of embraced as this kind of, of stranger. And still there is a lot of hierarchies at place in that where you see this, this north-south perspective and you see this kind of, of, of really, you know, uh, a Western consumer of other places and cultures and people rather than someone meeting uh, these people, places, and, 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 and foods. Um, and I think that's, that's very problematic. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, you're, you're talking about the encounters with the, the locals and, uh, and, and, and the exchange between like when you're making food with the locals and, and like uh, experience their uh, kind of uh, gastro gastronomy. Um, like uh, uh, for you as a research, uh, food researcher, what are like, um, What's the what's your favorite part of the job? The favorite part of my job? Oh, that's a tricky one. I uh, I, I like a lot of the phases in this actually. Um, so what I've done, particularly the last couple of years, is also to discuss a lot of like experiences, uh, food experience design. How does that work? How do people relate to it? How do they? evaluate it um, but I really think it's interesting to to talking to people both those who produce uh, food experiences uh, for tourists and locals and how they think about it um, often it's very different than what you would actually think <laughs> but also to talk to consumers because they have 
so many different approaches of what I might as myself uh, when I look at a thing and how I experience it, uh, that we all have a lot of different uh, categories uh, and ways of, of evaluating stuff as being good or bad, authentic, not authentic, uh, that, that are really different. I find that's fascinating how we can do that. Of course, you can see patterns in terms of gender, in terms of class and, and so on. But I think also that a lot of these judgments that we do uh, around food and tourism products are more and more diversified. So a lot of people would categorize them differently. Um, also, if they have the same, uh, I'm the same economic class and so on. And I find that that's really fascinating, particularly like maybe how different people evaluate the things around sustainability, for instance, that's a good or a bad thing or annoying thing. Um, uh, so I really like talking to people. I also like, you know, reflecting uh, about it afterwards, you know, writing up and uh, putting it all together because always when you know, collect the data also, even if it's me also, sometimes I do like uh, the analysis of food spaces and so on. It's also very interesting, but it, when it's very interesting to see and you write a lot of stuff down you take photos and whatever, but the data in the beginning, it's always very chaotic, right? You are difficult maybe to see where does this point at? But I think it's very interesting in the writing process also to finding an angle at how does this make sense, which might be a little bit different from what you actually started out as thinking it would be or, or would be considered like it would be a fruitful way to understand this phenomenon. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, so you, you talked about, the, you, you mentioned the sustainability um, and and we also works with the sustainability in the, in the in our studies this semester. Um, but like, is there uh, is there some is there some trends in food tourism that you, that you see that has become more popular over the years, uh, and and like where the future of food tourism is is heading, if you could say it like that. In, uh, in relation to sustainability, for instance? Yeah, or, it could be, or just like in general. Uh, general, okay. Yeah, yeah, but I think sustainability is actually a major player now within mm. all kinds of food consumption and also food tourism, evidently. But there's a lot of dilemmas uh, around that, um, I think, in uh, when, when it never is sustainable to travel around the world to eat sustainable food, right? It can be, you can go to whatever wonderful sustainable restaurant in Sydney from here, but it will never kind of be environmentally sustainable at least, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we need also to look outside our little world of our own and meet other people and places and culture and that's of course always a kind of negotiation between what you find is is is, is interesting relevant and how can you do it as sustainable as possible but i think um a, a big trend within that is also an increased focus on 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 vegetarian vegan vegan food in many kinds and you see that even in uh, increasingly in, in fine dining uh, a lot. You also see it in kind of um, middle range restaurants, which increasingly have a lot of vegetarian offers or completely vegetarian or vegans. Uh, and that trend, I think, will continue a lot uh, to go on um, for a certain point. But 
of course, going from a very low point where you would have none uh, vegan vegetarian restaurants in Denmark, I think 10 years ago, to now you have quite a few and you have a lot of options, particularly vegan vegetarian options uh, around places. Um, then I also think there's a big trend about food waste. Um, I, I did a project here um, um, over the last couple of years about sustainable food tourism in the Nordic region. And one of the things we found there was also different ways of working very systematically with food um, waste and some even kind of integrated into the design of the food experience. There was a place called Nola in Finland that one of our researchers uh, visited. Um, and we uh, and there you, you saw that there was actually a big kind of of machine, you know, what do you call a composter where you put all the um, all the, 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 the food uh, that you can kind of uh, recycle and send away was kind of put in the middle of the restaurant, the, you know, the dining room, it was there. So it was kind of like working with the food you did need. In, um, for instance, also here we have um, a mass here in Copenhagen, which very, very early on started to work with seriously measuring and, and bringing down their CO2 emission. Um, and they also integrate in the, in the food design, which I think is very funny with a dish that they have had for many years called yesterday's bread, where you actually take the bread that wasn't eaten, the fresh bread that wasn't eaten yesterday, you kind of cut it into to thin slices and then, and then um, grill it as a kind of chips or snacks in the beginning, um, but which also kind of instead of... Um, for many years, I've always been like, it has to be fresh, fresh. It's made today. It's, you know, we throw everything out. Uh, you know, it's whereas now you really see this how you can integrate and, and recycle food in different ways. And it's a kind of positive uh, symbol instead of being it's, oh, it's old, you know. And um, so I, I think that's also a, a very big trend in, in, in food trips. And then I think this kind of people are want more and more of, of the experience where they also have hands-on and it's coming I think very slowly but but you see a lot of um, trends where you can visit uh, a food producer maybe even sometimes work with them for a couple of hours or do stuff in different ways um, because people really want this idea of knowing where the food comes from seeing how it's working and so on um, you can also see it with with different kind of foraging trip or mushroom trips. Now it's soon the season, which is kind of, a lot of people are interested in that, but they don't know anything. I mean, the parents uh, didn't, don't, haven't taught them anything. And it's been kind of lost for a couple of generations, a lot of this, this knowledge. So a lot of people are very interested in uh, both locals and people from the outside to go to this kind of, of experiences where you do stuff um, because it's kind of engaging rather than maybe just going at the kind of top, top, top level of restaurant, which still is popular. But I think a lot of people now think we also have to do this kind of more down to earth um, experience, but where we get very close to the food producers. So this way of understanding, not just um, 10 years ago, I think all the coolness within food, the world of food was in the kitchens, right? Now it's increasingly also moving uh, to the food producers um, that they're seen as, as really some important persons. Yeah, oh, that's a, that's a 
Yeah, I can. I agree. I agree. Uh, but but um, also like we talked in the the end about uh in the in, in the start about um uh when when it uh, when food became uh, a tourist attraction or like where when it wasn't like a basic needs. Um, do you feel like we are as a as a society uh, maybe like drawn back to be more aware of where food come f- comes from and and like the waste um, uh, is uh, is minimal like it, it kind of backtracks where it, it went yeah. from everything had to be like yeah as you said uh, freshest of the fresh yeah so I, now I it's more like absolutely yeah. that that it's it's and it's gonna be um it's very interesting because a lot of people when they are a food tourist they're very adventurous want to try new stuff and uh, uh, do a lot of things that are normal not normal would do whereas in uh, in our everyday lives a lot of people are extremely conservative i mean we eat the same stuff more or less every day we have the same kind of routines we spend very uh, little time on, on food and cooking um, and and uh, that that's very interesting. This kind of opposition between it, but uh, for many years, people have been talking about these ideas about authentic, organic, sustainable foods, and so on. Um, but people have been very slow to adopt them. But what's happening now, actually, with the crisis in Ukraine and so on, all of a sudden we become very aware about that prices rise. You know, we have to think differently. Uh, because it's it's more like when people are pushed, are forced to do something differently in their everyday life, that they do it. Um, where they might be more easily pushed to it. If you go to Japan, well, you're not expecting to have the Danish rye bread sandwich uh, every day, right? You're, it's something different. But now, all of a sudden, here we see that we've very, become very much aware about production, both of energy, but also of food. And okay, it, it's affect us here that we have and no longer a big production of, of wheat in, in Ukraine. Um, we, we don't think about that very often, right? And now this winter, for instance, a lot of producers are saying they're not going to do cucumbers or tomatoes or red peppers here in Denmark. So we might not have that. Where we have been used to having strawberries years around and all kinds of, of products all year round. And now it's, it's kind of getting us back to uh, a more... Um, a, a more kind of seasonal understanding of food, but also uh, where we maybe are becoming more and more aware of that we have to source locally. Um, and not necessarily for very ideological reasons for a lot of people, I think, but more like to be sure to have enough to eat. So it's, as you say, it's right. You're getting back to some of these old, old ways of thinking or forced into them. Uh, by default, right? Um, and because that price is still a very, very important factor in everyday food consumption, where it might not be the same thing when we are food tourists. Yeah, that's great. That's uh, yeah, that's exactly what I also thought. It's uh, it's it's great to hear it from uh, from a specialist as yourself. <laughs> so. Um, all right, so to uh, our final question for you, um, is there any place of all the places you've been that you could recommend? Um, I, I mean, you could re- recommend a lot of places, but like one yeah. specific, what's <laughs> the, uh, what's like the, 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 best, you the, the best place? I have 
15. I don't know. There were a lot of very good stuff around there. I, I think, um, well, there was a place in the, also another place, which actually is a Michelin star in the restaurant in Faroe Islands, also called Cox, which was really, really uh, wild in many ways. Um, and uh, um, a very interesting experience because now it has moved to Greenland for a couple of years and will relocate when it gets back to the Faroe Islands. But when I, I've visited several times, but one of the times it, it has changed locations also various times. Um, but one of the places I visited, it was, uh, we arrived at this lake um, and then we had to drive to the restaurant by a very, very, very bumpy road in a SUV actually, a kind of very big old military Jeep where all the visitors could drive. You could not go there by a normal car. You had to drive for 10 minutes where it was kind of thrown around in the, in, in the back of this car. And that was really interesting, you know, you, so you always talk about it, you know, that you should experience the territory, right? <laughs> the landscape. And that's very physically what you did in that in that bumpy uh, car ride. And then afterwards the food was really great and it was served in an old wooden cottage uh, where I, I, I'm pretty tall. I couldn't stand up anywhere inside that house. I had to like, crawl out to the bathroom when I had to go there, but it was, uh, it was really, really something. Yeah, but you know, there's been a lot of great places. Uh, yeah, yeah, really. So, uh, yeah, difficult to choose, but that one, it, it had something, you know. Really mm. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, uh, thank for joining you guys and having me. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. I think we could talk for so much longer. But, uh... <laughs> yeah. but we will. Yes. In a yeah. couple of weeks, right? We're yeah. So I'll look forward to that. Yeah. We do as well. And thank you so much for uh, accepting the invitation. <laughs> of course, and good luck with putting it all together <laughs> into some kind of podcast. <laughs> Very courageous of you, I yeah, must say. We're going to send you the final result if we get the... Yeah, great. I look yeah. forward to that. <laughs> great, guys. See you. Yeah, see you. See you. Yeah. See you. Thank Bye. You. Bye. Bye. <laughs>